You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Player out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta. Now hit the road with your hosts. Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com or from over on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K. Joining me this evening are my usual partners in crime. One Gaurav Vidak and Matt Powers. You can follow them on Twitter at GVDAC and Matt Powers31. Matt, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good right now. I'm a couple days away from actually coming down to Atlanta to see some of these prospects live. Yeah, it's actually a pretty cool. Matt's going to be visiting. He lives currently in Pennsylvania. We are desperately trying to get him to move to the city of Atlanta. And uh, Gaurav is doing his absolute best to try to help facilitate that uh, one way or the other, whether it be kidnapping or otherwise. Rob, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm currently planning my kidnapping of Matt. Uh, oh, whoops. Okay. Yeah, it's... Oh, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, you're fine. I just want to make sure I'm like... Did... We've had since... That was very similar to what happened when we had, like, the great subway incident of the first incident of Road to Atlanta where it's like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. Let's not talk followed, about that day. <laughs> followed by 15 seconds later of hold on, I really have to go, and some of the worst noises I've ever picked up on a microphone, and me and Garrett wondering if we had to call 911 because you were being strangled or something. Uh, as it turns out, just... Uh, Nothing like that, I promise. Okay. I uh, just had to make sure that, you know, you weren't getting some horrific form of food poisoning again. That would be bad. Um, unfortunately, Garrett won't be able to join us. Uh, he's having some real computer problems. Uh, it's actually the reason why he wasn't able to come on uh, last week combined with some other familial commitments. Uh, as soon as he gets sorted out, we're going to have him back on the show. Because uh, we love having Garrett on at the very least. There's something unpredictable that will happen every time he is on the show. Uh, you know, his cats will his cat will invade. He has a dog now. So I really want to get Garrett back in here uh, to see kind of what his thoughts are on the minor league season so far. We were going to have a guest this week. I'm not going to re- re- say who that person was because they're still going to be coming on. They just had something come up where they couldn't be on. So unfortunately, you just get to hear our three voices talk about just kind of recapping the big performances, finishing up the mailbag stuff, and kind of talking about some of the questions that we we're seeing in the early uh, stages of the minor league season. So first things first, just from this past week, minor league wise, we have two guys that are raking down in Mississippi and that's uh, Drew Waters, who we've kind of talked about a lot, but another guy that I think we 
need are kind of understating just how good of a start his he's having down in Mississippi is uh, Christian Pache. And Garav kind of had some thoughts he wanted to share on it. Yeah, so so really, one he's he's tearing the ball, he's he's killing the ball, he's hitting for tons of extra bases. He got six eighty eight slugging percentage to start off the season, and one of the biggest things I think. I hope everyone picked up on in spring training and something I made note on, on Twitter was his overall change. I would say it's a massive change to how he approaches each of that. And, you know, last year and previous years, you would see him flailing over on his front foot. And I'm not a big like mechanics guy. That's not who I, that's totally Garrett. But that was my, my, my main concern with Pache was how he would always flail over his front foot and he could never generate any power. But you saw him at the end of spring training well, when the Braves were on TV and you, you can see him staying back more. And with it, he started driving the ball for like real power. He started driving that, that raw power that you see and, and people rave about was starting to translate a little bit into game power. Not so much like the home runs, but he was getting the ball. He was, the ball was jumping off his bat and he was hitting it hard. And you're seeing that, you know, kind of go into like start into the season. And this is a massive, significant update for me. Like, I've always thought that he was pretty much a guaranteed major leaguer just because of how good he was defensively. And no matter what, he's got that really good hit tool. So he's a, like at worst in my mind, I see him as a major leaguer, but now I see real, real potential. And like he's touted as, you know, someone that could win multiple or become multiple, uh, become an all-star multiple years. And while for the longest time, it's because of like BP. You could make that assumption. Uh, you're starting to see it in real games, and I'm now becoming a lot more excited about him than I was before. The walk rate is still not there. Uh, it started. I think it's almost at eight percent this year, but which is which is significantly better. But it's still not something you would hope someone with a, such an advanced uh, hit tool would have. Like, I expect it to be higher in my head. Maybe I'm just being way too ambitious with my evaluation of him. Uh, maybe it was because he had, like, a sub-five walk rate last year. I, I, I just need to see more of it out of him. Uh, but this is this big. Like, for me, I, I see potential, like, impact talent in him and not just on the defensive end. Uh, let's see if he's able to keep up with it the entire season. But right now, this is an excellent start. This is what I've been wanting to see from him, and I'm sure this is what a lot of people have been wanting to see from him. Yeah, that's actually, I wanted to touch on the walk rate a bit because, let's be clear, he is still going to swing at pitches that he has no business swinging at, and, like, he'll get fooled sometimes because he's still really young. I mean, him and Drew Waters are functionally the same age, and both of them are advanced to, you know, have advanced to double-A this year, which is a real challenge for both of them as hitters. Um, and both of them are rising to the occasion. I mean, Drew Waters is kind of adapting to that leadoff hitter role. We're not seeing a ton of power out of him yet in terms of, like, extra base hits and stuff like that, but he's, you know, Drew Waters is hitting doubles. Bache had back-to-back games with home runs, and more importantly, he's having games with, like, multiple walks now. And, I mean, sure, you, you see, when you talk about him and you hear about him, he, he you want him to be kind of, like, have that skill set where he's going to have, like, the high on-base percentage and... To have that on high on base percentage, so that way, at the very least, if his power doesn't play consistently, he's at least a guy that can use his speed on the base paths. But he's he's driving the ball. He's now he's walking a bit more. I'm not going to expect you know like some crazy you know Joey Votto type walk rate out of him. I just I don't think that's reasonable. 
But I also think that he's making changes not only in just his approach, but I think other teams are understanding that this isn't the same guy he used to be because he was so fast and he, you know, he'd hit grounders at the found holes and, you know, and things like that where, you know, he would, the, the batting average would be reasonable, but he would, he would put the ball in play more than try to, you know, draw out at bats because ultimately he was not impacting the ball with hard contact the way he was swinging. And that's kind of gets to what Garav was talking about. Now I think teams realize that he's going to, he's going to try to maybe work some deeper counts. And he has the ability to drive the ball more, and that's going to be, make teams that are make teams a lot more hesitant to put the ball in the strike zone against them. And I think it's going to lead between the, the changes in his approach and the fact that he is able to make hard contact that they're not going to be so willing just to you know pipe a ball down the middle and just take their chances on a grounder because he's able to drive the ball now. And again, this is a small sample size. We're only in this like these first two weeks of the season, so we don't want to draw too many conclusions. But right now, they both both Waters and uh, Pache looked good. Unfortunately, the third the the third member of that trifecta was C.J. Alexander. He went on the injured list with an elbow injury, so we'll see how long that keeps him out. I don't have we don't think we have any reason to believe it'll be something that will be crazy long, but we just haven't heard anything either. Uh, we're gonna kind of keep looking into it, see kind of if it's a something that's gonna linger or if it's something that's just only gonna keep him out for that week or whatever. Um, Matt, any thoughts on Pache before we move on Actually, to some of these other guys? Can, can, I, can I say one more thing here, real quick? Yeah. Uh, so my main problem, not not even problem. But when evaluating him, uh, it was like, from what we've known, he was a low OBP type of player, right? That didn't hit for power. And from that, all I could see in my mind was Ender and Ciarte. And there's literally nothing wrong with that. Ender's won all-star games. Uh, he's, he's, uh, one all-star, not one, but he's made all-star games. He's, you know, he's talked, everyone in the league knows who he is. He's a very valuable player, but, it's not the five tool that, you know, that you dream about. And, you know, maybe that's on me for having this, like, imagine, like, this, this feeling in my head that he needs to become this absolute all-star. But when you read all that about him and you don't see it within your own eyes and what you see is someone like Ender, which, again, there's nothing wrong with it, that it, it can get, like, a little frustrating for me. If he's going to slug the way he is, I don't care if he has a 4 to 7% walk rate. That's still an incredible offensive talent, right? And, and it's still, like, the, like approaches more of the five-tool type player uh, impact that he would have, if that makes sense at all. No, yeah, that makes, definitely makes sense. I mean, Matt, I mean, have you kind of noticed anything in Apache, or are you just kind of just kind of happy with kind of how he's doing so far, or anything else you're kind of looking to see out of him? He's definitely exceeded expectations this year for me. I was expecting... Increased power based on what we saw this spring. I wouldn't have been surprised with some increased walk rate, but more walks, more power than I could have ever begun to expect coming out of him this year. I mean, just like Waters, who I I expected him to have a good season, but I didn't expect him to do this well, especially this soon with such an aggressive assignment. And yet, here we are. Both guys are just beyond expectations at this point this year. Yeah, I mean, for this, I mean, like I said, it would be reasonable to expect both these guys to struggle early because it's an aggressive assignment for both of them. Uh, I mean, even though Pache got to double-A last year, like, I still expected him to kind of struggle at first just because that acclimating with the kind of issues that he had with his swing and kind of his approach issues, I expected some of those seasoned double-A guys to, you know, take advantage of that to start with. He's a guy that always makes adjustments, and he seems to be really coachable, but I was really happy to see kind of what he was about. Um, 
I want to talk a little bit about Justin Dean because this is a guy that I know Matt's been has talked about in the past uh, as a, an interesting player, but he has been unreal. He, he has an almost 900 OPS down there for Rome. Uh, one thing to note, he is a 22 years old, so this is a college guy, a college draftee that you have to kind of, if he's going to hang around in Rome, then maybe the, he, his window might close quick, close, more quickly than other guys. But really, really fast, seems to consistently impact the game when he's when he's in it, whether it be defensively, when he's on the base paths. He seems to always come up with big hits. Uh, recently had a long hitting streak that was broken up yesterday, and you know he he's driving in some runs here and there. He does draw a few walks here and there. I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a major leaguer down the line, just because, again, he's a little bit older, and there's one thing we haven't seen. He's hit six six doubles and then one home run that was an inside the Parker from the opening day of the season. I'm just not sure if we're going to see the power and the extra base production to like kind of see maybe as like a potential everyday guy, but he's a lot more interesting than I thought he was going to be to start the season. I mean, Matt, do you, I mean, you're kind of a guy that's you're a guy that's more aware of him than anyone else. I mean, do you see some potential there? Yeah, I definitely see potential. I mean, I don't see him ever becoming a star like Apache or a Waters could be, but I could see him being potentially, I mean, absolute ceiling, an everyday player, more likely to be that fourth outfielder type with a well-rounded tool set. The speed, he's got more power than what you've said. I mean, he's never going to be a 30 home run guy, but he's got that ability to hit double-digit home runs in the big leagues, I think. Yep, he's another guy that we're kind of of the uh, sort of a breakout candidate. Uh, another one that we've been kind of noting, and I don't think we gave enough credit to coming out of his season at Rome. He was a reliever for most of the year, and then he got five starts. Uh, and he kind of like you know he started when he needed to uh, a few spot starts here and there. And the Braves have just gone full starter with him, and that's Hayden Deal. Um, his numbers have been kind of impressive. He, uh, after a, a low sub, a low two ERA for the entire year at Rome. Again, most of that was from relief appearances, but he did have five starts, including a complete game. This year, it's been all starts, one point five nine ERA. He struck out thirteen batters in seventeen innings, only five walks. You know, not giving up runs. Doesn't see, doesn't see. Has a lot of the peripherals you like. You know, low batting average against him. He's an interesting guy, especially throwing with his left hand. That's kind of the tricky part, right? Because he's 24 years old and he's a lefty, and he's just now becoming a starter as a professional. But I don't know if he's going to hang around in Florida very long. I mean, would anyone be shocked if maybe kind of we're, since we're seeing some of these roster moves with like Nolan Kingham getting called up to Florida and things like that, would we be shocked if he ends up being moved up? I say no, just because of his age. I mean. He signed with the Braves as a college senior undrafted free agent. So obviously he came into the system a little older. He's been in the system since 2017 at this point. So at some point you do have to push him a little bit faster just to get him closer to the big league track if you think that he's got a chance to get there. Yeah, I would say it's a little more surprising he hasn't been moved up. (laughs) Well, that's just it, right? Like... We only saw him make those five starts in Rome, but if, you know, if he's performing this well as a starter in these first three starts, like we, we've seen the Braves make early season moves in their minor league system. We've already seen a couple. I mean, again, Kingham just got called up to, to, uh, Mississippi, and then we're, we saw someone get pulled from extended to go into Rome. 
And we, we saw, you know, Mueller was moved pretty early last year, uh, a couple times. Uh, we saw Bryce Wilson moved a couple times very quickly. And I don't think this is a player development system that if they see a guy that's excelling, especially if he has kind of the age that where you can feel like you can move him up and there wouldn't be maturity issues, you kind of want to test and see what, where a guy is at and see if he's actually going to be I mean, you don't want to have Hayden Deal going a year by year and end up being 26 or 27 years old in AAA, and then you realize that maybe you had some had some talent there. He's a guy that can move up quickly. So, um, Rafael Ortega, uh, he's not a guy that I'm a, we're going to dev- devote a bunch of time to, but he's hit some home runs. He's been performing really well with the leadoff spot for Gwinnett, and you know, big props to him. I don't know if he necessarily sees any time in the major leagues uh, for the Braves, just because the way their outfield situation is kind of positioned right now it seems like that they were if they were to have an injury they'd want to put Camargo out there and then move you know whether it be if like Ender was out for some amount of time or they would move Acuna over or you know something along those lines move move those guys around and have the, they kind of have the four their four spots set um Adam Duvall has been outperformed by Ortega for sure so if there was going to be a call up I think the only thing the consideration would be like a 40 man spot my um, take on him is he's this year's version of Michael Reed and I think that his power numbers are 100% because of the new ball in AAA. I was at a series last weekend between the Yankees AAA team and Vladdy Guerrero's AAA team. And I saw some home runs from some guys, multiple home runs from some guys who really have no business hitting home runs just like Ortega, who's never hit double digits in a season. Uh Gosuke Kato from the Yankees hit two in two games. Tyro Estrada, another guy, neither of these guys have hit 10 in the season, hit two in the same game. I mean, the ball's just flying out of parks in AAA right now. Just AAA, not all of the minors. So I think the power surge from Ortega is related to that. Yeah, uh, TJ Cooper and Baseball America actually commented on this, is that right now in AAA, because the new ball's being used down there, there's going to there Triple A is currently on track to have 1,200 home runs hit there, even if there's a bit of a even accounting for a bit of a dip during the summer months. Uh, just kind of accounting for that, you know, that that humid, swampy weather, and that's insane. That's a lot. That's a lot of home runs to hit in Triple A, and it kind of speaks to one, you know, how some of these parks and especially in some leagues are constructed, and you know how homer friendly they already are. But this new ball is like it's it's a real thing, and it's it, it kind of skews things because. You have a guy like Austin Riley who's not really hitting a bunch of home runs right now, uh, and a guy that you think would hit a bunch of home runs. But if he were to start elevating the ball, we'd also have to take into account the fact that maybe that's a lot of that's something from the new ball. But they're using the same ball in the major leagues, so maybe it's not worth you know discounting too much because if they can, because the new ball is what it is. You have to kind of take you, you can't necessarily expect these big power numbers to continue, but at the same time. Since it is the, the ball that's being used in the major leagues, I also think that pitchers are kind of understanding like the fly ball tendencies of a lot of the, the, the fly ball tendencies and what the new ball is doing in the major leagues. And we're kind of seeing some of that even out in terms of the overall power numbers. But it's going to be interesting to see kind of how a lot of these numbers that we're looking at, like, for example, the Rafael Ortegas of the world that are uh, – that are that are hitting for power that necessarily wouldn't normally hit for power, but that's not to take away from him. He's having a, he's having a really good start. Riley Delgado, he just keeps hitting. He just keeps hitting the cover off the ball. Again, not a guy that hits for a ton of power. Lots of line drives. Uh, plays third and shortstop. He's played both this year. Uh, he's a guy that we've liked a lot, just in terms of an overall. Just knows how to hit. Uh, knows how to play the game. 
probably should move is another guy that should move reasonably quickly because he's older. Um, one last guy that I'm gonna let Matt talk about before we kind of move on to some uh, just kind of some general questions that we have about how the early season's going uh, is Victor Vodnik because we he was kind of an interesting draft signee coming out of the draft and he already had a pretty high octane fastball in high school and now we're seeing some reports of him like throwing triple digits or close to it so talk to us a little bit about Victor. So Vodnik came in as just basically an arm strength guy, more arm strength than just a pitcher at this point out of high school. And he really struggled last year. He got lit up in the very, very short time that he actually pitched for the GCL team after signing. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but he didn't even go five innings last year, I want to say. He's a guy that in high school was clocked at uh, tops of 97, but he typically sat in the low to mid-90s, that 89 to 93 type range. I mean, he's got that downward plane on the fastball and velocity, which is more of an arm strength thing than just pitching. So fastball itself projected somewhere between plus and plus plus. I mean, it was definitely a significant pitch, but that was really all that he had. He had a slider, but it was clearly a work in progress that just flashed as above average. Right now, it's nasty. I mean, it's easily a plus pitch, possibly even a plus plus pitch at this point. His work that he's put in in the offseason with the coaching staff, with the training program. I mean, it's really shown a lot of improvement. And at this point, he's got potentially two pitches, which could potentially end up as plus-plus. At the very least, two pitches that are plus pitches. Uh, the changeup actually was a pitch that was at one point considered his best secondary offering. And I don't think this is a plus pitch by any means, but I think it could be average to above average depending on the growth, we haven't seen much of it this year, and really, right now, there's no need to see much of it because he's in low A against low A hitters, and he's relieving, so he doesn't need to turn over a lineup two and three times at this point. So we haven't really seen much of that, and I think when he does his, Freddie, hopefully, when he does his version of what Freddie Tarnock did last year and gets some starts in the second half, which is a way to keep his innings down at this point because he doesn't have a lot of innings. This is a kid that was in high school last year, and it's been noted that the coaching wasn't always the strongest around him, but lower innings, not the best history of high-level coaching. So it's a way to monitor his innings so that you can stretch him out over the full year. So... I would hope that he would get a chance to get some starts by the end of the year and we could really get to see his full arsenal as he tries to go through lineups multiple times. But he's really stood out this year so far for me. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All 
Well, and with that, we kind of cover our top performers so far this, this season. Uh, but we, I wanted to cover a couple topics before we kind of get into some mailbag questions. Um, first is, and, it, and Matt kind of touched on this, is that we're seeing a lot of early season pretty significant pitch counts being placed on. And now some of these are understandable, right? We have, you know, Patrick Weigel really being slowly, slowly stretched out. Uh, assuming he's even being stretched out at all, it's very possible that since he's on the 40 man roster and the Braves bullpen is currently a dumpster fire, that if they kind of see enough out of him, they might move him up into a relief role this season. But we're not seeing him throwing a ton of pitches, uh, right away. We're not seeing, you know, Ian Anderson seems to be on a pretty serious, pretty serious pitch count. He's not throwing a ton of, ton of innings. Same goes for a lot of these pitchers that we're kind of used to seeing, you know, real workloads on, but we're seeing this all throughout the system, uh, particularly double A down. Uh, Grav, I'll start with you. Do you think that this is, especially being as rigid and as concerned going into a season, like locking in on pitch counts and really only letting guys throw through two, maybe three innings sometimes, is this something that you see as a positive development or is this something where you kind of like to see some of these guys throwing some more significant innings? Uh, I would like to see them throw more significant innings so that when they go, you know, when they eventually make the majors, they have, you know, they've been stretched out to where they can hit like 100, 115, maybe 120 pitches if necessary. But like most of them are so young. I, I, I understand it. And it's probably just, you know, probably based on a ton of data that shows that they need to be limited to this many. So I got no complaints with it. Matt, what about you? Is this kind of like this? It, it felt a little atypical, not because, or I mean, like those, especially those first starts from the minor leagues. We've seen, you know, like you know, even back when like you know Mike Soroka was Mike Soroka, Colby Allard, all those guys were, you know, Max Fried was the same way when we saw him. He didn't have a significant load. Those were guys that were ranging from high school draftees to coming off injuries. But it seems like this has kind of lingered on a little longer than I remember it being. I mean, are you generally? Is this generally how you've seen it? Or is this kind of the normal workload that we're seeing these days? I think I see it that way, but I really like it. I mean, Grav touched on something that I think. I think that this is something based on the analytics. I think that Anthopolis is great with the analytics, and I don't think he gets enough credit for the analytic work that his team does. I don't think much of it gets released to the public or much of their thought process gets released to the public. So I think we're kind of in the dark a little bit to some of that, but I think that that plays in a lot to a lot of their different decisions. And I think that this just works. I mean, look at the history of pitchers health with the Braves out of all these pitchers that we have. And I believe that, well, I don't just believe we have more pitchers than anyone else, high level arms than anyone else. And we have such a low injury percentage rate I mean, Weigel needed Tommy John. Soroka had a shoulder issue. But look at all these other pitchers that we have or have had, and how many of them were hurt with the Braves? I mean, obviously not including a guy like Freed who had his Tommy John before coming to the Braves. That wouldn't really count into this. But how many of these guys have actually gotten hurt well with the Braves and on this plan? I agree, and it's just it's it was an interesting thing for me to note, just because, again, you would kind of I 
I'm a little more used to them not necessarily throwing big time innings, you know, like seven or eight innings and like 120 pitches or anything like that. Uh, and they could probably do themselves some favors by being a little more efficient. We've seen some guys, you know, giving up some walks here and there. Uh, you know, Ian Anderson in particular has kind of been a guy who's been giving up some walks here and there, which does kind of make it harder to get into those, you know, the sixth inning and things like that. But I think it's an interesting way to limit the the amount of innings a guy throws rather than like skipping a start, you know, midseason and things like that, trying to get him into that 100, 120 innings range, which is what we see a lot of guys doing, um, even like well after their draft year. It's, it's, it's a, I think it's a positive development, but it's kind of a little jarring where like you, you hear, you know, a guy only threw an inning in the third and you wonder if something happened when, and then after the fact you hear, oh, he was just on a pitch count, everything's fine. But overall, I'm happy kind of with the general direction as long as it's a plan. And not just because, you know, guys aren't, you know, being able to find a strike zone or anything like that. Uh, one last, one last thing that I, one topic I wanted to touch on before we move on to the questions. And this actually gets into one of the questions we have is right now the Braves rotation and their bullpen is kind of in flux because Fulty's hurt and, you know, Mike Soroka's kind of in the fold right now. He just came back, uh, from being down in AAA and kind of coming off an injury himself. We're seeing some of this even out with guys coming back from injury. Guys, you know, settling into their roles. You have you know, guys like Ian Anderson and Patrick Weigel who are kind of lurking down in Double A. What's going to happen with all this Triple A depth that the Braves currently have with their starting pitching? I mean, are we going to have to see guys starting the shift to the bullpens maybe sooner than we expected? Because right now, you know, once Fulty comes back, I'm not really sure where you know who goes up and who goes down, and who ultimately ends up to the bullpen. My hunch is is that that maybe a guy like a Bryce Wilson or a Kyle Wright will start kind of getting some relief looks just to see if they can get some better stuff in their bullpen because the bullpen's been so bad. But I, I was kind of curious as to kind of what y'all what y'all's thoughts were is that like once this all shakes out, what's going to happen with these AAA guys and are we going to see them still kind of sticking in the major leagues, um, maybe in a bullpen role and kind of who sticks in that Gwinnett starting rotation? Uh, Matt, I'll start with you. I really don't want to see these guys move to the bullpen. I mean, Moving them to the bullpen would help the 2019 team, but for the long term for the Braves franchise, I don't think that's the right move because that will destroy what their value is now because their values as relievers would be significantly lower than their value as in a trade as a starter. And it's clear some trade or trades have to happen that would move some arms to other teams for other pieces. There's just too many arms not to have a trade. I think we probably see something before the deadline, at least one trade, and I'm sure it will come from the arms just based on where we have the extra depth. But I'm not for in any way moving these guys to the bullpen. I mean, it would be one thing to move these guys to the bullpen for the postseason run, but to move them to the bullpen to actually pitch during the course of the season – I think that just limits their value significantly. Well, even if it's – we've seen starting pitching prospects like start off in the bullpen and then end up going on to long and lengthy and illustrious careers in the major leagues, even if it's just a short-term move. The problem I have right now is that once Fulty comes back, then we have you know one of you know Tuki Toussaint right now and Mike Soroka that are currently on the – they're currently pitching as starters in the major leagues that I'm not sure if all those guys – would stick and you know I've kind of got been on record as saying you know maybe this is the point where you figure out what you're going to do with Tuki and what you're going to do with uh with Julio but I just don't think that's going to happen and so at that point there's just too many arms 
for so many rotation spots. So I guess in the short term, I guess is my question is what ends up happening given that there's only so many spots to to give guys starts right now. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah, for me, it's, it's like, I, I, I really, I don't know, like, unless you trade someone, I, I, what are you going to do with them? I think you have to see some probably shift more towards the bullpen, especially later in the season. I'm sure they'll, they'll try and figure out some way to keep them all as starters, but then come like, you know, late, late August, you might see some transition there that, that way they can make an impact on a postseason roster. Uh, I think Farmos, attrition you know it's it's bound to happen and then and then two trades like between those two i don't i don't, I don't know what they're going to do with it because there's too many at yeah, a high it, level and and, th- and this was complicated by sean newcomb getting sent back down because they're going to try to keep him starting and you know he's you know we have guys that are on the 40-man roster at triple a i mean you know, i just don't know what to do with all of them and then like newcomb as a reliever would just be horrendous i i, I can't imagine they ever try it with him, but then someone like a, like a, if, if they don't feel like Tukey strong enough to be uh, a starting pitcher the entire season in the major leagues for whatever reason, which I entirely disagree with, I could see him being one of those guys that ends up making that postseason roster as a reliever. You know, there's just, there's too many arms. There's something's got, something's about to happen. You have to think trade, you know, the, the roster's becoming too packed at the top with these, with these pitchers. We have glaring holes, uh, you know, on the starting, uh, on the, like, as a, what am I trying to say? We have glaring holes on the defensive side, you know, in our lineup. It's something's bound to happen. I agree. And I, I get what Matt's saying is that you don't want to necessarily crater a guy's value and you want to, like, you don't want to waste an arm that might be good as a starter, uh, in the bullpen. But I don't necessarily agree that. We're going to be, it's going to, we're going to be talking about August when we start seeing transitions to bullpen rolls. I, I honestly think, and I've kind of advocated for this, is that in the short term, with all these guys, if you don't want to, if for whatever reason, and they haven't seen, they've seemed very reluctant to part with, with arms and trading in April anyway is just kind of a nightmare just because every team's still in it. You don't really know which, you know, what pieces you need to go after to kind of make your run yet and teams don't necessarily aren't necessarily willing to part with guys. You don't see a lot of trades in April, you know, before, you know, once the season started. Uh you might start seeing a few in May, but we it's probably going to be towards the summertime when we're seeing trades. So what I could see happening in the short term is one of, you know, a Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson or Tuki Toussaint end up being in the major league bullpen to at least give them some relief there with the understanding that that's not where their 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 permanent home is. It's just kind of trying to get better arms in places, but also understanding that, I mean, like, Tuki Toussaint's had success as a starter. Bryce, Bryce Wilson, we've seen him in the minor leagues have success as a starter. Uh, you know, Kyle Wright has, we, has he seen, he's seen success as a starter in the, in the minor leagues and, you know, he has already started games in the majors too. I don't think it's necessarily, if they put him in the bullpen early on, I don't think it'll mess up their development terribly, but it's an understandable concern that you go from a guy, having a guy in a very set routine, you know, pitching once every fifth game and putting him in a bullpen role. And then, especially if they are, have things they already need to work out and turning him into kind of a different, it's a different role. Um, that brings us to one of our questions. Uh, I'm gonna, first we're gonna make fun of Doc Herbert because he said who's the, he asked us who the best relief prospect in the system and why it's Days Bell Hernandez. Uh, Doc is not Days Bell Hernandez. That's not, it's just, it's just not gonna happen. Um, but, we get, I get asked this question a lot as to kind of, you know, who's, what help we have 
coming from the minor leagues uh, in terms of relievers. Um, the one the the one guy for me that hasn't been called up, Jacob Webb did get called up. He's a strikeout. He, he'll strike out some guys. He's going to walk some guys too. I'm just going to give you guys fair warning. Uh, we haven't seen him have put significant time in at the major leagues yet to kind of whether or not that's actually going to hold or he's going to do like a, a Chad Sabatka of 2018 thing where he doesn't walk a bunch of guys uh, as opposed to the 29th version who gives up home runs and walks a bunch of guys. Um, but, you know, the one guy that I really like who's currently in the minor leagues is Corbin Klaus. Uh, I think he, he's a guy that will that will throw strikes. He attacks hitters. Uh, is probably going to get an opportunity this year. Uh, since he's not in the forty man roster, that makes it a little trickier, just because you have to kind of figure out a spot for him. But there are guys taking up roster spots uh, on this on the forty man that I don't necessarily think deserve forty man spots, uh, particularly in the relief core. And he's a guy that I'm kind of targeting as a guy who could. Pitch maybe he's not the, maybe he's not a closer and you still have to kind of sort that out but he's a guy that will that kind of has the mindset to pitch in meaningful innings and will work ex- extensively hard to make sure that he's not the guy that's walking a bunch of guys he's going to make you beat him rather than you know let let free passes kind of catch up with him so he's kind of my guy uh, I'm kind of interested in what your guys thoughts are the best reliever in the system right now who's hasn't been called up yet. Oh, it's obviously Chad Sabaka. He's the best reliever that we have in the system right now. And uh, Fiddle is right Ooh, <laughs> this man. Ooh. But no, seriously, I have to say, I have to agree with you. It's Klaus. I mean, I've been clear about that before. I think he is the best potential pure relief prospect that we have in the system. He's probably more of a setup man long term than anything, but I really like his upside. I'm a big fan of Webb, who obviously just got called up, and I'm looking forward to really watching him pitch in the big leagues. And I think those are really the best two pure relief prospects that we have. All right, here comes Garoff to tell us why why Matt and I are wrong. Go on, Garoff. <laughs> so, no, you're right. I just wanted to be different. Uh, if I had to pick some, like if I had to pick someone that you guys didn't think, I, I'm I've always been high on Thomas Burroughs, but then. I thought he got the walks together last year, and it seems like this year he's can't he's struggling with the command again. And I want him to be a thing, but he's trying very hard uh, for to not become a thing. So <laughs> I, I agree with you guys. Yeah, you, you have to help me. Look, Burroughs had a pretty good AFL stint, and you know he's a guy that come that has some pedigree as a prospect. So it's not wouldn't be a crazy notion that he ends up being a pretty good reliever too, but. If you're if you're asking us, is there some sort of hot shot relief prospect right now that we're really really excited about? Uh, the answer is honestly no. It's that's not something that the Braves have really cultivated. A they target a you know they'll they'll draft a reliever relatively high in the draft and they'll kind of move them forward. There's been guys like there's guys like Brooks Wilson and there's some guys in Double A and High A that have a chance of of having some real ceiling. You know, Brandon White's another one. Um, but they all have their warts and not someone that's necessarily blasting their way through a system to just make the, make the major leagues right away. So, um, so to answer the general question is right now, Corbin Klaus is kind of the guy, he's the clo- he's one of the closest and he's a guy that, you know, seems to be, I would put him in the big, the bullpen and it would at least be an interesting way to try to see if you can get some better talent in there, uh, especially as a lefty reliever. Who, you know, now that Johnny Venters is quote unquote hurt, uh, I still think that's kind of like a ruptured success gland injury rather than an actual one. Uh, and it makes me sad because I really want Johnny Venters to come back and do re- really well because the, 
everything he, that guy's been through, you know, you want him to be able to come back and really make a difference. But I do worry that maybe he's just done. Uh, hopefully I'm wrong and that, you know, the injury is actually a legitimate one and that when he comes back, he'll ends up being a valuable part of the bullpen. But I do have my doubts. Um, again, this is just finishing up some mailbag questions from last week. Uh, Christopher McLemore uh, asks, Tukey or Wilson, who's more likely to be in the pen on the postseason roster? Can Rob, I you can answer this one? Yeah. Yes. I'm going to say more likely to be on the pen in the postseason roster will be Bryce Wilson because Tukey Sussant will be the number two starter. Bold. Bold move. Matt, what about you? That's after Max Fried opens up the, opens up the series. Oh, okay, okay. Matt, what about so, you? So, I have a hard time seeing how they're going to have enough confidence in Tukey to actually start him this year, just based on the numbers game right now. I mean, I like Tukey as a starter, and I think that's where he belongs long term. I just don't think that they have the confidence to put him in that role this year, which is why he did not start the year in the big league rotation. So, I don't think that he has an inside track to a postseason starting spot this year. So I would have to go with him. I mean, I definitely I like Wilson, but I prefer Tukey stuff. So I'm actually going to agree with Garav on this one. The reason being is that I see a world where... Because Tukey's going to be the number two yeah, starter. I, I, I think Tukey's <laughs> going to be a starter. I think he's going to be a starter by the end of the year. My reasoning being is that I do think that some, you know, a, a Gaussman or a Tehran ends up getting dealt. And I think that Tukey ends up being a starter in the rotation. And by default, that would mean that I think that Bryce Wilson, who I think would, his stuff could feasibly play, the sec, the lack of secondaries, even as a reliever, he's, he's a really big, he's really relies on that fastball. I really wish that the breaking ball was better. Uh, and hopefully he ends up getting there. Uh, but if I'm picking two guys between these two guys, I actually do think that it's more likely that Tukey ends up as a starter and that Bryce Wilson ends up as a reliever on a postseason roster. Uh, if you're asking me what's going to happen like two weeks from now, my answer might be different, but, um, uh, and, <laughs> but anyway, that it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, but in terms of overall stuff and who I would prefer as a reliever in terms of pure stuff, uh, I think Matt's right. It's Tukey because, you know, in a relief role, he's, I, we've seen him as a reliever before. He's filthy. Because uh, he can just uncork at fastball and you know break off breaking balls without having to worry about you know <laughs> trying to manage himself for later innings. Um, and uh, Christopher, I had one more question. He said, "How shocked would you be if C.J. Alexander made Austin Riley expendable as a trade piece?" Matt, you first. I don't think that this would actually happen because I think there's a coming change with the addition, future addition of the designated hitter in the National League, where having two third basemen along with already having a first baseman, so the inability to move a guy to first base doesn't really come into play as much as it would have 10 to 15 years ago. I think that the DH is coming, and it's just a matter of time, and I think it's probably going to be here the next three to five years at most. Gaurav, what about you, bud? I really like that answer. I didn't even think about that, but I like that answer. So what Matt said. <laughs> yeah, what Matt said. That sounds good. Uh, I don't think that there's. I don't think that that is a good way of evaluating a guy being tradable or not. Period. I think that ha- having depth is nice in the sense that you don't feel as bad about trading a piece. Uh, trading trading a piece. But what I think we're seeing from the Braves, and we're going to see this in Austin Riley's case, and we've seen it already a little bit in C.J. Alexander's case, is trying to build in a certain amount of utility 
We've seen C.J. Alexander start at first base. Uh, I could, I wouldn't, I'm not going to be shocked if we see, you know, Austin Riley getting time in the outfield for Gwinnett. Uh, it's not a place that's necessarily crawling with prospects who are going to be eating up their playing time or anything like that. Um, more importantly, though, I don't know if C.J. Alexander is going to accelerate so much in Double A. He's already struggled a little bit. Now he's missing time with injuries. I think that taking their time with him now that now that he's in Double A, I don't think he's necessarily going to hit the cover off the ball so much that that would make it to where like, well, now we have two guys at triple that are triple A worthy at third base. We need to do something with one of them. Um, but Matt's right. It's like, you know, having bats in the system, a lot of times you can maybe in the short term, you can just find places for them uh, in the minor leagues or maybe even in the major leagues if you really needed to, uh, especially if you build in that utility I was talking about. And, then when we see some of these changes that we think are coming, I mean, I I tend to agree that the DH is going to be something that's going to be adopted relatively soon. Um, and, the, and if that's the case, if you believe in both of these bats more than anything, then you don't necessarily want to give them up just because you, they're, they're, they happen to play the same position. I think that right now the only question is what pieces do you need to go get for your major league roster and who what is that going to cost now if it ends up costing an Austin Riley you know that's a high you know we're talking about a top 50 prospect uh, on most lists and you know that's going to have to require a significant return for them the Braves to be willing to do that whereas if you're wanting to move maybe a CJ Alexander who's right now whose value isn't nearly as high as Austin's is but I see, I could see either one of those guys getting moved, but it just depends on kind of what the, the trade packages look like. But I don't think either one makes the other more expendable. It's more of a different value, different level, and it just kind of adds to the depth of a system and it kind of gives you more options to kind of create trade packages, uh, to your liking. Um, one last question and then we're gonna go. I think I might have answered this one last week. Uh, and that is from Roger. And where is Darian Cruz? Uh, I can answer that definitively. He is currently in extended spring. And I am hopeful, hopeful that he ends up coming out of this still as like a, a real legitimate, you know, prospect that could, you know, potentially use what are real physical skills that he has and turn them into actual products on the baseball field. But I mean, do we have any reason to have a whole lot of confidence in that right now? If I'm just asking you guys, like, I, it's t- it's tough because I know that there's physical tools there, but a lot has gone has gone wrong for him so far. Yeah, for me, like, it sucks because one, he's an incredible guy. Like, you can talk to him; he's he's very personable, wonderful, but like, he can't hit and he can't field right now. And, and like the back of my mind, when I didn't see him on any rosters, I was like, oh snap, are they like trying to make him a pitcher maybe? Like that's how little confidence I have in him as a player. Just, but man, I, I just wanted to, I want him to be a thing because the, the tools, right? The tools, the, uh, he's frustrating. Matt, you have, you have, Matt, do you have any hopes for him or is this something we're just going to kind of have to, you know, hopefully that he just proves us wrong? Uh, and that he's ends up not being, you know, being a guy that we can kind of count on for any sort of prospect value down the line. I'm hoping he proves us wrong at this point. I'm just not very high on the upside actually occurring at this point, unfortunately. I hope I'm wrong, though. Yeah, Darian is a cautionary tale in that I feel fairly confident in saying that 
he was simply moved up too quickly. And we've seen this happen. I mean, the Braves are aggressive. I mean, and they've been aggressive both under Capoeira as well as under Anthopoulos, you know, the entire player development program. They will challenge guys, but there are times when it doesn't work out. We saw this with Lucas Herbert. You know, he hurt his knee, you know, in rookie ball, and they put him up in Rome anyway as a hitter, and he never developed as a hitter. And while he's a really, he's, I still maintain he was a really good defensive catcher and his pitchers love, you know, throwing to him. And I feel like he's going to catch on somewhere just based solely on that, uh, if he chooses to continue to pursue baseball. But he's a guy that just never really learned how to hit and didn't really progress in the way that we hoped he would. And now we, we kind of left in a situation like with Darian where he was a young guy that had an okay pro debut, but maybe needs some more time in Danville to kind of get acclimated both to like American culture and kind of being a professional and learning to, to hit against professional pitchers. And that didn't happen. And unfortunately, this is something that's just going to be, there's going to be some attrition. And what I am hoping beyond hope, because Garav's 100% right. Darian is a sweet, sweet guy. And I know that he wants, he, he want he is more frustrated that it hasn't worked out so far than anybody. And I think that we forget about that, that sometimes for guys so young, we write them off. But it's a tough thing to make all the, the physical and technical adjustments you need to make to be a professional hitter. And even though he, you know, has all those physical tools, maybe that time and extended is going to do him a lot of good. And he comes back and, you know, I assume if that happens, they might give him a look at Rome and see how he does. And I am, I want to be the, I want so badly to be wrong for him just because I know that he has a lot of physical talent and I know that he wants it. And hopefully that this time and extended that, you know, it goes really well and he ends up getting put, you know, put it in Rome, put in high A or something. And then he ends up, you know, being able to, you know, do all the things he needs to do because, you know, all the errors and all the, all the struggles at the plate were, were t- at times really tough to watch. So, well, guys, that's all the time we have for this like, week. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, like, to, to properly put this in, into perspective, like, he almost makes Braxton Davidson look like a good hitter. Like, that's, that's how, that's how much Darian was struggling. Like, he could barely obtain, like, obtain a 500 OPS. It's, it's crazy that, not crazy, I, I don't know, I, I just, I want him to succeed so, so much because of what you said and, I think mainly because of my interactions and talking to him and just seeing how genuine of a person he is that like having to say something negative about him hurts me. Like that's how much I want him to succeed. And that's how much it's been troubling and and frustrating to see his struggles. Like I'm sure you guys feel similar. I know you've talked, you've talked to him because he makes himself out there. Like he puts himself out there. He makes himself vulnerable and to see it, man, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's real hard. Yeah. But uh, again, and we, hopefully we look back and we say, wow, it was funny that day at that time when we wrote, wrote off Darian and now he's, you know, at AAA raking or something like that. And that's true with all of these guys. I hope that everyone realizes that when we're talking about guys, we're talking about strictly objectively the, the best we know how, because, you know, there's times we're going to be wrong. You know, Johan Camargo was a, you know, a light hitting infield prospect. And then all of a sudden he, you know, put on 30 pounds and started, you know, mashing the crap out of the ball, you know, when he was in triple a and you might've seen some signs of that in double a, but 
you know, you don't necessarily think that he's going to continue on the track that he's been on. And now he's a really valuable member of the Braves. And not all developmental paths are linear. Not not everyone develops in the same way. And it's, you know, it's not something that you just put a guy in the oven for three years and he comes back out a big leader. That everyone has different paths. And hopefully, you know, the guys who struggle or the guys who have kind of hit a certain ceiling at a certain level, uh, whether it be triple A, double A, high A, whatever, that they come that they come back because you know I've been rough on Braxton is a good example, but you know if he comes back you know from that pretty good AFL stint, comes back from this injury that he suffered, and you know he's mashing and you know hitting two two seventy or whatever in double A, then you know that I'm all for it. I'm in. You know just you know we just have to kind of objectively see what look at what we see and make those decisions and that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not rooting for all of them because i think i speak for all of us when i say we have a soft spot for all these guys with all that guys that's all the time we have for this week thank you so much again for listening to the road to atlanta apologies in advance for uh the being out of order brad had something come up where he had to post the podcast the talking chop podcast on our normal slot and so we've switched spots to post on sunday so that we're actually recording this on thursday so I'm actually going to ask both of you guys before we go, uh, since we're going to be kind of talking to you from the past, and we're going to see how long, wrong we are once this actually posts on Sunday. Uh, Garav, give me your top performer for the weekend, uh, for, minor league wise, and I don't know, some sort of other bold prediction if you want. I can't believe that thing happened to that player. Can it's just remarkable. I'm going to be totally lame since I get to go first <laughs> and say. And say Christian Pache, just because it's easy, and I want to make life difficult for Matt. I was actually going to take Pache because he's just been hitting so well <laughs> that it was just such an easy choice. Um, without him, I will have to go with William Contreras. He's actually been hitting okay in spurts down there in high A, so I don't think that's a bad pick. Uh, I expect the breakout to come. Yeah, he, he's – we don't really hear – talk about him a whole lot yet because he's been kind of just okay down in high A for right for the moment. But, you know, as a catcher, you know, hitting okay, that's, that's pretty much all you really have to do. But he's a guy that does hit for power, and I, I actually like that pick a lot. Uh, I'm actually going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say that the best performer of the weekend, it's either going to be one of Riley Delgado, like having like a couple multi-hit games – or Trey Harris, who is another guy who has like a high OPS down there for Rome, has been continues to do work for that team that you know looks on paper is kind of like it's been cobbled together, but it's actually a team that really that really kind of knows how to hit. So that Rome outfield, I just want to call it out again. I mean that's Dean, that's Harris, and that's Andrew Morris. I mean those guys are just doing nothing but producing, and I just they don't get enough credit. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I think they're really, I think it's, they're a really fun team to watch. And if you haven't, if you don't get the chance, if you live in the area and you aren't going to Rome Braves games, you really should because they're, they're a really entertaining group this year. A lot of high energy guys too. So anyways, now that we've gotten those predictions out of the way, thanks again so much. Make sure you follow the, the podcast Twitter account at road, the number two Atlanta dot, um, and we can find out when new po- shows are posted. Uh, Garavel every once in a while posts just random thing, random tweets from that talking about what's going on in the minor leagues as well. Thank you also again. Again, so much for all the support for the talk, for the podcast. It's been amazing how much you know love the podcast has been getting since it's come back. We really enjoy doing it. A little bit of a shorter show this week, but I promise we're going to be getting a little bit longer form and talking about some longer form topics for next week. But until next time, guys, we'll see you on the road.